Good morning, BC. I am so thankful that while we are not able to meet in person this morning, that we still have an opportunity to worship the Lord together as we sing songs and as we hear an update from the cross-cultural workers that BC is sending out among the unreached and as we sit under the word of the Lord together this morning. Today we'll be looking at Psalm 85, so if you could please go ahead and open up your Bible and turn to our passage in Psalm 85 today, we can be ready to uh, look together at God's Word and, and see how the good news of who God is and what He's done will enter into our lives this morning. So kids, I wanted to paint a picture for you about some of the ideas that we're going to be looking at today in Psalm 85. So in this picture, imagine that every Friday, for as long as you can remember, your family has had a family Friday pizza night. So every Friday night, your parents order you a, your favorite pizza, and you guys all enjoy that pizza together. So this particular Friday morning, just as usual, your parents wake you up, and they let you know that today is the family pizza night. And so they, they get your order of a pizza, you tell them exactly what you want, and your parents tell you that you will be eating that pizza tonight. They promise that you're going to have pizza tonight. So you go throughout your day, you're excited. This is something you've expected because it happens every Friday, but the fact that it's going to happen again makes you excited. So you're longing for this pizza all day long. You know, your, your school lunch doesn't satisfy you because all you can think about is pizza. So you get home and you do your homework, you go play outside, and then comes dinner time. So you rush and you run to the dinner table and you sit down and you're waiting excited for this pizza. Maybe you have some drool coming out of your mouth because you're so excited about this pizza. Then from the kitchen, your your parents come and, and onto the dinner table, they put a salad. How would you feel at this point? Probably your excitement is gone, whether it's been placed with confusion and disappointment. Because all day you haven't been longing for salad, you've been longing for pizza. Yet your parents have put a salad in front of you. You're probably thinking to yourself, why would they do this? I thought they promised me pizza. But yet in front of me is a salad. So then you would probably make this thing known to your parents. You would probably begin to complain. You may ask your parents and you may say, Mom, Dad, this morning you promised that we would be having pizza. But all I see in front of me is a salad. Are we still going to have pizza? After listening to your question, your parents would respond in some manner like this. Child, dinner is not yet over. There is still more to come. Then they would get up from the dinner table. They would go to the kitchen, open up the oven door, and pull out a fresh, hot pizza. They would put it on the dinner table, and your family would enjoy your family pizza night all together again. There are times in our life and times in our relationship with God when we don't always experience the things that he's promised us. And this can often lead us to confusion because there are times when it seems that the things God has promised us, he has yet to give us. There are times where we feel like God has promised us pizza, 
but yet in front of us we have salad. Just as in the situation you're able to ask your parents why they gave you salad when they promised pizza, the Lord also invites us when we don't feel that we experience the things that he's promised to ask him about that. So just as you're able to come to your parents who promised you pizza and ask them about the pizza, so we too can come to God and ask him about his promises. Most of the time we do this when we experience the brokenness in our lives. Those are the times where we feel like we're not experiencing the promises of God. When we feel the weight of our sin, when we step outside and we see the brokenness of the world, we become confused. We become disappointed. After all, this is not what we've been longing for. And as we do this in prayer, that's called lamenting. So lamenting is a prayer that confesses our pain to God and results in us further trusting him. So lamenting is when we wrestle with when we're experiencing brokenness and we're not experiencing the things that the Lord has promised for us to experience. But lamenting isn't just complaining, but lamenting is an act. It's a process that leads to trust. And so as we lament, we can trust and we will learn to trust that God will always deliver on his promises. Just as your parents in that situation did in fact bring you pizza, even though you thought they were only giving you salad, God too will always deliver on his promises. He is always faithful to his word. And so kids, after our church service is over today, I have three questions that I would like for you to ask your parents to continue the conversation um, that Psalms 85 is going to begin. So the first question is, have your parents ever questioned or doubted whether God was going to be faithful to his promise to them? Second question is, what did they do when that happened? How did they respond? How did they communicate with God? And the last question is, how then did God show them that he is faithful to his promises? As we look together today at Psalm 85, we will see how we can come to God in lament when we experience brokenness. But we can only come to God in lament because we have become children of God through the person and work of Jesus. It's only through Jesus that we as broken people living in a broken world can come to a perfect God who's able to bring about revival and restoration to the broken. And we do that as we lament. So today we're going to see that God revives and restores the broken and that we are called to lament. But before we look at this text together, there are a few introductory matters that need to be addressed. So first, let's discuss the context. As we know, it's important as we approach any text to understand it according to its context. So this usually involves looking at the background and the, and the history and the author and, and the specific circumstance in which that passage was written. Sometimes those contexts aren't super clear. So today, as we look in Psalm 85... Um, there's much debate about the specific context in which this psalm was written. But there are two predominant views. The first view is that this psalm was written during a time of Israelite exiles, when due to their sin and rebellion against a holy God, Israel has been conquered and taken captive. 
Israel's situation is far from pleasant, and they find themselves in desperate need for the Lord to act on their behalf. So in this context, the Israelites would be experiencing brokenness brought about by their own sin. The other proposed context is that this is happening during a time of famine. So the Israelites here, again, are in a situation that is far from pleasant, and they are desperate for the Lord to act on their behalf. In this context, the Israelites would be experiencing the brokenness brought about by living in a fallen world. So while it's not clear which context we find in this psalm, it's not clear whether the brokenness that the psalmist will describe is caused by their sin or by living in a fallen world. What is clear is that Israel is in desperate need for the Lord to act on their behalf. So I think we're going to see that this psalm speaks to both the brokenness we experience from our sin and the brokenness that we experience from living in a fallen world. So we're going to look at how God revives and restores the brokenness we experience because of our sin and how God revives and restores the brokenness that we experience because of the fallen world that we live in. I think another important issue to discuss before we look into the text is the idea of worship. So one and the main purpose of the Psalms is to instruct how we worship the God who's worthy of all worship. So when we worship the Lord as his children, it's not an act of leaving our messy life behind and cleaning ourselves up and then coming to the Lord. We don't come to the Lord putting ourselves in our fanciest Sunday suit. Rather, we come to him in our dirty laundry and wait for him to dress us in a clean robe. Worshiping the Lord includes bringing our lives, all of the mess, all of the pain, all of the disappointment, all of the struggles, all the suffering, and all of the brokenness to the Lord. When our life is messy because of the brokenness caused by our sin or by this fallen world that we live in, we are able to come to the Lord in prayer. And that's what we're going to see in this psalm of lament. In his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark Vrogop, um, I believe is how you say his last name, says that there are four parts to a biblical lament. Those four parts are as follows. Turn to God, bring your complaint, ask boldly for help, and choose to trust. And as we look in Psalm 85, we're going to see all four of these elements presented today. So as we look today at Psalm 85, at an example of worship, we will see the psalmist worshiping through the recollection of God's past faithfulness. We'll see him worshiping through the lament and prayer of asking God to revive and restore his people. And we'll see him worshiping through waiting on the Lord to respond and act in revival and restoration. And then finally, we'll see how the psalmist worships the Lord as he chooses to trust and obey that the Lord will, in fact, bring about revival and restoration and how this leads the psalmist to have confidence in his future. So let's read together today Psalm 85. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? 
Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. Let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This is the word of the Lord. Today, as we walk through Psalm 85, we're going to be looking at it in four parts. So we're going to see how the psalmist turns to God as he looks at God's revival and God's faithfulness in the past. We're going to see then how he brings his complaint and asks boldly for help as we see our neediness and our needs in the present. Then we'll look at how the psalmist chooses to trust and obey as he accepts God's grace in the waiting and then as he looks to his and our confidence in the future. So, as we first look at this psalm, it appears to be a psalm of praise because what the psalmist is doing is beginning by praising the Lord for the works that he's done in the past. The psalmist here is recounting the ways that the Lord has worked on on Israel's behalf in the past. The psalmist is, is able to do this. He's able to recall the things that the Lord has done in the past because he's taking the effort to remember them. There is an intentional effort that the psalmist displays that equips him with reminders of how the Lord has worked in the past. And we see examples of this intentional effort throughout Scripture, and we see it even as patterns in our own lives. So in in Scripture, we read of the many festivals and celebrations and holidays that the Israelites celebrated that reminded them of things that the Lord had done in the past. We see the Israelites having crossed over the Jordan, setting up 12 memorial stones to remind them of the wonders that the Lord had just performed. We see in the Old Testament recounting of Israel's history in which it reveals things that the Lord has done in the past. Every week we at BC take the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves of the work that Christ has already done on our behalf as his body was broken and his blood was shed. This remembrance, this recollection of God's mighty acts, it's meant to instill a deep running hope in the power of God to work. And specifically what the psalmist is asking for is for God to revive and restore. And so he's remembering a time when God had revived and restored. When we talk about revive and restore today, what we're talking about in reviving is the fact that God brings life. We know that God is a God who desires life for us, that he gave us life. And in Christ, he gives us life of abundance. He wants life for us. He doesn't want us to be content as we walk dead in our sin. As we talk about restoration, it invokes the idea of the fact that God makes things new, that God's purpose for this world was not to be fallen, but is to be whole. And so God is going to be the God who makes things new. He's bringing about what he intended. And so as Israel recalls the God's mighty acts, and as the psalmist recalls God's mighty acts of revival and restoration, 
is instilling a deep running hope in the power of God to revive and restore. And he's doing this through the intentional remembrance of God's works. Is this a discipline that that you have in your life? Do you make the intentional effort to be able to recall ways that the Lord has worked, whether it be throughout history or even in your own lives? Do you have memorial stones set up in your own life? While Tatum and I were in East Asia, I was introduced to a friend who would become my best friend there on the very first day. And I was blessed to see this friend come from someone who was open to hearing about Jesus to someone who was interested in hearing about Jesus to then seeking Jesus on his own to then becoming a follower of Jesus. And the Lord's work in this friend's life happened over years. And there were many times when I doubted that the Lord was able to do what he had promised to do, that the Lord was able to save my friend, that the Lord desired to save the lost and that he is capable of saving the lost. I doubted often that the Lord was able to revive and restore my friend, that the Lord was able to bring life and bring newness to my friend. But now I have a story that I can remind myself and I can see that the Lord is able to do far more than I expected him to do. I have a story written down that I read over again when I'm faced with days that I doubt that the Lord is able to revive and restore. On days when I'm broken over the lostness of my friends. On days when I'm left without hope because I don't think God's working. I get to read over the story. And God reminds me in the story, in recounting what God has already done, that he's that same God today. And this is what the psalmist is doing in these first few verses. He's reminding himself of how the Lord has brought about revival and restoration in the past to instill confidence that he can do it now. That God has been involved in the past and that God will be involved now. That just as the Lord was favorable, that just as he restored, as he forgave, as he covered, as he withdrew, as he turned, God was very involved in the past. He's going to be involved in the present too. And reminding us of what he's done in the past gives us hope that he is going to be involved now. Throughout the Bible, the Lord's involvement is referred to as the Lord's arm is not too short. What this means is that the Lord is not too far away to reach into the world and act. Whether God is near enough and his arm is long enough to reach into the brokenness of our sin and into the brokenness of this world and bring about change. That he is near enough and his arm is long enough that he can revive and restore the broken. Yet there's another audience in this psalm. So while the psalmist is reminding himself of what the Lord has done, and while he is reminding the congregation of Israel what the Lord has done, he's not only reminding himself and he's not only reminding the congregation of Israel, but he's also speaking to the Lord. And so in recalling the revival and restoration that the Lord had brought about in the past, he's both reminding himself of what God has done and reminding God about what God has done. He's saying to the Lord, God, this is who you've been in the past, and this is what you've done in the past. So do that again now. God, you are the God who revives and restores, and you have revived and restored in the past. So revive and restore now. It may seem weird for us to think that 
that we have a part in playing as we remind a God who knows all things and plans all things about the things that he has done in the past. But this reminding is not something that we come from in pride, but rather it comes from obedience. This is in answering the call that the Lord has placed on his people in Isaiah 62, 6-7. Isaiah 62, 6-7 says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest, and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. We are to be those who remind the Lord to call him to action, to do what he has done in the past, to do it now. So as the psalmist has began his request for revival and restoration, he's recalled the past revival and restoration so that he can have hope and that he, and so that he reminds the Lord that God is the God who revives and he's the God who restores and he calls him to act accordingly. So we see that the psalmist has turned to God. And now, as we continue in Psalm 85, we see that he brings his complaint to the Lord and he boldly asks for help. Verses 4 through 7 Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. In these verses, we see our need in the present. And this need is going to be brought about by the brokenness that we experience either because of our sin or because of the fallen world that we live in. And it's in these verses that the psalmist is asking that the God who's reached into the brokenness of our sin and the brokenness of the fallen world to reach again into that brokenness. Israel is in need of God's revival and restoration. We've already read about how the Lord has revived and restored Israel in the past, but they need him to do it again because these verses lie in contrast to the verses that came before them. Because in those verses prior, it shows what God has done, that he is the God who has revived and restored. But in this, there's a seeking out of revival and restoration because it's not present, or at least it doesn't seem to be. So we see that here, once again, Israel and the psalm, psalmist is broken and needy. We ourselves don't have to look far to see the brokenness in our own lives. We experience brokenness from our sin when we can't break the, the sinful daily habit that we struggle with. We see the brokenness when, when we continue to seek after idols that cannot satisfy. We see the brokenness when we can't walk in line with the things that we know pleases the Lord. And we fail to live according to his standard. We see so much brokenness in the world around us every time we step outside the door. We're often reminded that unreached people groups are still unreached. That there are millions of babies being killed by abortion every year. That there's a pandemic, a disease that is taking lives. There are governments that persecute Christians just for following Jesus. And that there are people being mistreated because of the color of their skin. Brokenness is so evident. Sin continues to wage war in our lives and the world continues to lie in shambles. It is broken. And we are desperate for God to bring about revival and restoration in our lives and in the world around us because we can't do that on our own. 
we're unable to bring about that revival or restoration that we need in our own lives caused by our sin. And we're not big enough to bring about the revival and restoration that is needed in this world. And so we bring our brokenness to him. We bring our complaint to him. Oftentimes the brokenness that we experience burdens us. And if we don't bring that burden to the Lord, that burden will crush us. Because there's there's no relenting of the brokenness of this world for us today. So, brother, sister, are you burdened by your sin? Are you burdened by the fallen world? If so, bring your burden to him. Because there is so much in our lives that can burden us, yet God is able to bear all of those burdens for us. And we can bring our burdens to him because of a work that's been done on our behalf. That the brokenness that burdens us is the same brokenness that 2,000 years ago Jesus entered into so that he could bear our burdens. He could bear the burdens that we should be bearing due to our own sin. He could bear the burdens that that are caused by the suffering and death and disease and sin that is prevalent in this world. So you who are burdened, come to Jesus who wants to carry your burdens. Take your burdens to Jesus and allow him to give you, give you his yoke that is light and easy for you. Our needs and our brokenness seem endless. But for every again of our sin, or every again of this world, there's an even greater again of God's grace that invites us to find revival and restoration in Him. And while our brokenness and our needs may be new today, so is His mercy. We are in the same desperate state, broken and needy, as Israel finds himself in this psalm. But yet we have the same God inviting us to come to him. That in our brokenness, we can bring our complaints to the Lord. We can tell him that we're not okay with being broken by our sin. We're not okay with living in the brokenness of this world. And then we can choose to ask boldly for his help. So just as the psalmist is bringing his complaint and and crying for help, And as we are in the same desperate state that they are, God remains the one who's calling us to come to him. Jesus entered into the brokenness of the world and and he bore our brokenness on the cross so we could find peace and relief in his yoke. So just as the psalmist brings his brokenness and burdens and complaint to the Lord, so should we bring our brokenness and burdens and complaint to the Lord who's able to carry them for us. And we see that just as the psalmist asked God boldly for help, so we too should ask him for help because we are helpless. It's in their face of their neediness. It's in their need to be revived and restored again that they're desperate for the Lord to act. So the psalmist here asks for the Lord to act. The psalmist here is, is asking that the Lord would bring about revival and restoration to his people once again. So the psalmist asks God to, to work in a big way. And we know from reading the narrative of scripture and from examining our own lives and from seeing the brokenness around us that we don't deserve the Lord to act again. We don't deserve for him to hear our plea and to respond and act on our behalf. 
And even though we need revival and restoration, we don't deserve it. But what matters most to God is not what we deserve, but what Jesus has done for the undeserving. It's because of Jesus that we are able to come to God in our brokenness and complain to him and pray these verses and ask for his help. The reasons that we're able to pray these verses in, in, in this passage here is because in Jesus, God has enough grace to pardon us from the brokenness of our sins. And in Jesus, God has enough grace to bring about change in the brokenness of this world. It's because of Jesus that we're able to ask God to do big things for us once again. And that we can have hope that even tomorrow as our needs and our brokenness comes back, that we can return to the Lord and and he will receive us because his mercy is new for us. His grace is abounding for us and he welcomes us. I think a, a helpful quote from Charles Spurgeon as on, on prayer is, is helpful for us as we try to understand the kind of request that we should be asking of God in light of the brokenness that we experience from our sin and from this world. Spurgeon says, We do not come in prayer to God's poor house where he dispenses the favors to the poor, nor do we come to the back door of the house of mercy to receive the leftover scraps, though that would be more than we deserve. But when we pray... We are standing in the palace on the glittering floor of the great king's own reception room. And should we come there with stunted request and narrow and contracted faith? No, it does not become a king to be giving away pennies and nickels. He distributes pieces of gold. Church, as you're confronted with the brokenness over your sin and the brokenness in the fallen world that we live in, what do your prayers What do your complaints, what do your pleas for help say about your belief in the character of God? Does it say that he's a rich and generous king or that he's a reluctant and economical boss? Do our prayers show that we believe God is able to reach into the brokenness that we experience from our sin or from the world that we live in and bring about revival and restoration? Maybe even more important, do our prayers reveal that that's something that we want? It's sure, as we look into this passage, it's certain that we will experience the brokenness that our sin brings about in our life. And so we ask the Lord to revive and restore us. We will experience the brokenness that living in a fallen world brings about in our lives. And so we ask the Lord to revive and restore the world and the people around us. And so turn to God as you recall his past faithfulness. Bring your complaint to him and ask him boldly to help when you're faced with burdens and brokenness of today that you're not intended to bear. Ultimately, the brokenness we experience because of our sins and because we live in a fallen world won't be overcome until we ask the Lord to overcome it for us. This overcoming is the revival and restoration needed in the midst of the brokenness of our sin. It's the revival and restoration needed in the midst of the brokenness of this world. It's the revival and restoration that God wants for you. And it's the revival and restoration that the psalmist models for us to plea for, for us to long for. So after recalling what the Lord has done, and after we intercede for the Lord to act, after we plea for Him to bring about revival and restoration, We trust and obey as we receive God's grace 
in waiting and as we rejoice in the confidence that we have in our future that God will revive and restore. Verses 8 through 9. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. So here we see a picture of the psalmist waiting. The wait that the psalmist describes here, the picture of the psalmist waiting here is not a passive wait, but it's an active wait. He's actively seeking to hear what the Lord has to say in response to his plea. He's seeking to hear what the Lord is going to speak into his life. How will the Lord respond to his plea for revival and restoration? After recalling the Lord's work in the past and requesting for him to again bring about revival and restoration, the psalmist here is sure that he's going to do it. So he waits and listens. Let me hear in in this verse can also be translated as, I'm so ready to listen. So the psalmist waits expectantly. And he waits and he listens not because he's hopeless to do anything else, but because he's hopeful that the Lord will indeed bring about revival and restoration to his people. He's sure that the Lord has heard his cry for action and he's sure that the Lord will respond. And indeed, we see in these last verses the Lord's response that gives us confidence in the future. Verses 10 through 13 says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This psalm closes with confident expectation that God will hear the complaint and cry from his people for help. And bring about revival and restoration. It ends in trust. The way that the psalmist describes these things are as if he's certain the Lord will give what is good. Our land will yield its fruit. And these these ideas in these verses are described in poetry. They're they're described in in a way that should invoke us to awe and wonder at what we're witnessing here. That we get to see steadfast love and faithfulness meet that righteousness and peace kiss each other, that faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. This should bring us to wander and it should bring us to rightly fear the Lord as well. Because what's being described here is the contrast between different aspects of who God is. That God in his steadfast love has compassion on sinners, but that God in his faithfulness wants to punish sin. And so here we see in this meeting of steadfast love and in this in, in, in this meeting of steadfast love and faithfulness, in this kissing of righteousness and peace, that these things are only good for us because they were first bad for Jesus. That this kiss happened two thousand years ago. This meeting happened two thousand years ago as Jesus hung on the cross to take the punishment for our sins so that we could receive the compassion of the Lord. So that that instead of being on the side of God's wrath, we now get to enter onto the side of God's love. It's because of Jesus that we can look with confidence into the future described here, knowing that this future is ours because we are his. 
We can look in confidence knowing that God will give what is good because in Jesus, God's given us all that is good. That we can have confidence knowing that the land will yield its increase because in Jesus, we have all the fruitfulness that we need. We know that this future is ours because we have been purchased by Him. All the grace, in fact, that has been written throughout this psalm is purchased grace for us by the work of Jesus Christ. And it results in our revival and restoration. So as we are confronted with questions, as we experience brokenness from our sin and brokenness from the world, and that results in us questioning and doubting. So we have questions like, Will God leave us as we are broken in our sin? Will we be left without revival and restoration? Will God leave this broken world as it is? Will it continue to be in shambles? We can look back at the cross and say, not a chance. And we can look in confidence in the future and say that one day Jesus is coming back and making all things new. That one day sin will be no more. Death will be no more. Disease will be no more. Pain, suffering, and the brokenness that we experience in this world will be no more. And so we trust and obey with confidence that the Lord will do what he's promised. We trust and obey that because God is the God who revives and restores, that he will revive and restore us now in our present brokenness, tomorrow in our future brokenness, and forevermore. So turn to God as you remind yourself of his faithfulness in the past. Bring your complaint to him and ask boldly for help as you're faced with brokenness. And then trust, choose to trust, knowing that God has proven to us that he wants to revive and restore us. And knowing that we have life and newness today because of Jesus. That the revival and restoration promised to us in this psalm has been accomplished for us in Jesus. So take hold of that revival and restoration. And in the midst, in the waiting while we're still in brokenness, long for that revival and restoration to be become greater and greater and greater, that the glory of the Lord may dwell in our land. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who revives and restores the broken. God, that you don't leave us in the brokenness of our sin. God, that you bring us to life and you make us new. God, that you don't leave the world broken as it is, but that you bring life into it. You speak life into it and you make things new. God, we thank you that that's who you are. That those are things we can be certain about. And that as we experience brokenness now, God, I ask that you would help us to seek you for revival and restoration in in our lives and in our church and in our community and in the unreached peoples of the nations and in our world that we would see you do that so that in the future we can look back on this moment in time and recall how you are the god who revives and restores god lead us to trust that that's who you are and that that's what you do. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.